Hi, and welcome to the Making Money Show. I'm Gord Whitehead, along with the financial coach, Ron Hebert, retired portfolio manager. We've waded into the waters of when to sell a stock, Ron, and this is a this is a big area. And as you pointed out in the first episode, the investment community is more about, well, here's when you should buy. Buy, buy, buy. And as we pointed out in, in a study of 12,122 analyst recommendations, only about 6.5% of them were when to sell. So you're kind of almost on your own here, aren't you, if you, you're trying to make the decision on when to get out? And this is the one area I found that people are the least have the least amount of, of expertise in. A lot of people can recognize when a stock is a buy. You know, it's gotten cheap, they followed for a while, they know the industry, but they don't understand the telltale signs of when to say goodbye. And it's certainly not a science. I've owned stocks that in retrospect, I bitterly wish I'd followed my own advice and sold. So it's not something that is a perfect science, but there are definite signs out there or reasons where if a company encounters them, you should consider saying goodbye. There's 20 reasons altogether. This is a huge area. As I say, it is completely unrepresentative in any discussions you hear. It's always about buy. You listen to the major financial talk shows. Generally, it's about buying things. And so to give you an, ex- an explanation and a real deep understanding of this sector, We've broken it down into three podcasts because there's so much information to cover that we're having to do it over three uh, bite-sized pieces that you can add to. So we expect you to go back, listen to them a couple of times, write down these points, there's 20 of them, and learn what the telltale signs are because the only way you're ever gonna make a profit is you've gotta buy it, but the other half of the transaction is you have to sell it. And this is where most investors, their biggest weakness is, just not knowing when to do that. So take the time, learn the signals, and apply them. It'll be much more profitable for you in your investment career. Okay, so I'm, I own this stock. The companies, I'm, I'm pretty happy with them. And then they decide to go out and buy something at the top of a market cycle. And, and the one that you have here as an example is Precision Drilling, a company that many Albertans know. And not to pick on precision drilling because a lot of energy companies did that. It's just, it just is a good example. A cycle is running hard, and especially if it's a cyclical product. And by cyclical, we mean that it is tied to the economy. It has big ups and it has big downs. And of course, what typically happens in the energy sector, mining, especially golds, is when the sector is running hard and you've seen spectacular increases in the underlying commodity, people get so excited about how much money they're making because with cyclical stocks, oil and gas, uh, mining, forest products, often in a six or seven year cycle, you'll make all your money in like 18 months. So across a long cycle, you've got this very compressed period of time where the money is flowing in. It's like you took a fire hydrant and opened it up. You're drowning in cash. (laughs) When that typically happens, I don't know whether it has a mind-altering effect on management, but what happens is that all this cash coming in, Management feels they got to do something. Do something with it, yeah. You know, and everything's going so well. Why don't we make another acquisition? 
And typically when they're gushing in cash, that's especially in commodities, that's the worst time to do it because often you're at the top of the cycle. Where you wanna, what you wanna do is you wanna save your cash and wait for a dip or a depression in the cycle where most companies aren't making money. And that's the chance you get to buy them cheap. So you wanna look at management and the management that's doing that, that's where you wanna to migrate to. Companies where they're typically buying at the top, taking on huge amounts of debt, and then they go through this debt valley, and for the next 10 years, they're, they're paying you down their debt. You can't find them, yeah. Yeah. You want to you say goodbye to those companies. So if you have a cyclical stock, they just made a massive acquisition, taken on a ton of debt, that's a great signal that maybe you're at the top of the market. Get out of these things. Okay, what about management compensation? This is something that's come up uh, during the financial crisis. We heard all these stories of these Wall Street executives making money that was, you know, you could say maybe it was out of whack with the market. Is that something we should be looking at too? Management compensation is a good indicator of often stock performance. Too often, management that has done not a particularly credible job of increasing shareholder value. And one of the sectors that is a frequent violator of this is, is the gold precious metal sector, where management pays themselves egregious salaries and wages and bonus and stock options and all the other things that come with it, way out of proportion to how well the shareholders have done. And if you take from, let's say, 2012, which was the peak of the last gold cycle, when gold hit around $2,000 an ounce, you've gone through a long valley. I mean, we're, we're, almost, we're entering the seventh year of it, where shareholders, in most cases, have lost half of their value or more. And they're sitting there looking at 50 cents on the dollar or 40 cents on the dollar or 30 cents on the dollar, and they're watching management coming to shareholders at the annual meeting wanting to get even more money when they haven't participated. And if you see management doing that, say goodbye to the stock because their increased compensation is coming out of your pocket. There's a direct drive between what management's making and what you're going to end up getting. Okay, that's pretty good advice right there. When a company's dividend payout ratio rises above 100%, how often does that happen? Happens a lot, especially in, you remember the income trusts. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, the income trusts really, they call it the Halloween massacre, where under the Harper government, the finance minister at that time, Mr. Flaherty, came out and he cut the tax advantage of these things. And most of them, a lot of them were paying way more than they were actually earning. So a whole layer of income stocks disappeared from the landscape. And many of these stocks dropped by a dramatic amount and never recovered. So what I use is in management in many of these companies knows that Canadians are what we call in the investment industry yield hogs, <laughs> where they'll buy anything if it's got a good yield. And they really aren't paying attention to what the yield is compared to what the earnings are. So typically what happens is the company pays out a lot, management's draining down its cash reserves, or management's borrowing money, or management is paying a high dividend and using the, the dividend to put people on reinvestment plan. So there's more and more shares issued. 
any one of those is highly dilutive to the company. And typically, if a company's draining down its cash, it means that it doesn't have enough money to reinvest in its business. It might temporarily keep the stock high, which looks good to the bankers. And certainly, if you get shares, you can sell your shares into a market that's high because people are looking, oh, a 9% dividend, I gotta love that. But I have a basic benchmark that I use is that my comfort zone is I like companies that don't pay out any more than 60% of their profits in dividends. And for utilities, because uh, utilities, most of them are regulated, or a lot of them are regulated. They've got a government that's guaranteed them a rate of return on their invested assets. I'll go as high as 80%. But when you're looking at 100, 110, 120, 150% payout ratios, it's, you know, There'll be quarters where that happens, Gord, where a company just had a bad six months or they had to write down an asset. I totally get that. But if you're looking at year after year of paying out more than you're making, say goodbye to the stock. All right. Let's get another one in here. When a takeover offer for a company looks like it is not going to happen. And usually you get a sense of that fairly immediately. You know, a company will offer to buy another company. The share price rockets because often there's a substantive premium that's going to be paid. But... Typically, you hear noise from two sources. Number one, you hear noise from management and shareholders of the company that's to be taken over, where they're saying, no, 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 we don't want to be taken over. We think we can do much better on our own, and we have the capability to fight you off. That should start bringing, ringing alarm bells. The second thing is government, where government steps in. And of course, recently, we, we saw that with Fiat wanting to merge with Renault why anybody would try to merge with a French company is beyond me, especially when the French government owns a significant portion of, of Renault stock. The French government isn't going to do anything that's going to cut jobs, and that's really what that industry has to do. They have to rationalize. They have to make fewer factories produce more cars. You've got to consolidate in a lot oh, of ways. Oh, exactly. Yeah. And so why anybody th would think that with the current government in France as precarious as it is with all the, the uh, yellow vests marching every weekend, why they would even entertain a merger that could possibly cut jobs and hurt them at the polls is beyond me. So if you see a, a merger proposal and the alarm bells start going off, and especially if it's had a move, take your profits. Okay, one more here. When a sector experiences a long-term decline in demand, and, and the one that automatically comes to, to mind here is the newspaper business. The newspaper business is a very tough business because it is being replaced by social media. I mean, you can go to Facebook or you can go to Twitter or you can go to Instagram or you can go to podcasts, LinkedIn, websites, I mean, there's so many, LinkedIn, yeah. you can go anywhere now and get your media. And... Uh, f uh, frankly, on my way here, I stopped for a coffee. There's all these free newspapers now that make their money with just advertising. And the margins on that is so skinny that that's a tough sector to be in. Even Warren Buffett got out of the newspaper business, and he was a significant player years ago, just because demand is going down relentlessly year after year. So that's one. You, you watch those flags come up. It's time to head out of Dodge. When companies experience consisting, consistent earnings losses. Isn't there a Canadian company that sort of falls into that category that we all know about? Bombardier in its heyday made trains, made 
airplanes, snowmobiles, snowmobiles, all kinds of different uh, ventures they were in. And typically, at one point, they were they were producing profitability in all of those sectors. Probably the trains were the weakest. But then they started running into problems, and year after year, they took on more debt. Uh, they've had manufacturing problems they, with the city of Toronto, with some of their European contracts, where the product they produce has been late or it's had defects and has to be taken back, and they're fighting in the courts to keep these contracts. This is just a company that is having a really difficult time wrestling with profitability. And so, you know, people are saying, well, now they're uh, with their commercial aircraft that uh, they've done a partnership with with Airbus, Airbus, yeah. Airbus, that that's going to help them. But I look at this and I'm saying, why do I need to be there when I can be in the same sector? I can own Airbus Industries. I can own Boeing. Um, I can own a manufacturer in that sector that's making profits all the time. Why, if I want exposure to that sector, would I want to own a name like this, which is struggling for survival? And is looking to the government for help all the time. Exactly. That's another one, yeah. Okay, we, we touched on this in, in a question. A, a company's credit rating drops below triple B, and we had the example of Sherritt that we talked about in a previous episode. Yeah, Sherritt dropped from triple B, and then it went to double B, and then single B, and now triple C. And as its credit rating craters, so does its stock and so does its bonds. So watch the company's credit ratings because this is typically an area where you don't see a lot of time spent on that in research reports. They'll cover earnings, they'll cover every ratio you could possibly manage and that focuses on earnings. But debt is a very critical part of a company. If it has too much of it or if it has restrictive covenants on that debt, it can take the company from profitability to being a basket case in no time. So if you start seeing a company's credit rating dropping consistently, especially if it gets below that triple B minus level, it goes what we call junk. And that's where it's not investment grade. So if you see a credit rating drop, and especially if it's hitting triple B or triple B minus, you should be watching that very closely because you want to get out before they move to a C credit rating and not after, because afterwards the price will have already fallen. Okay, and I can think of examples of this one over the years. When the company borrows money to make a large share buyback at the top of the market, when the shares are overpriced. You have to shake your head at that. So you look at a company that's not growing and its shares might be 30 or 40 or 50 times earnings, and management sitting on this big pile of cash, they can't find acquisitions, well, maybe you should just pay a dividend to shareholders so that the shareholders get cash in their hands rather than, well, it's more tax efficient to buy back shares because often they're buying them back at the peak of the market. And a classic example of a company that's poured huge amounts of money into share buybacks, but it hasn't done anything for them is IBM. Since 2007, the company has spent $83 billion buying back and reducing its stock, and its share price is still down. So it's helped because the share price would probably be down a lot more, but buybacks just taking on more debt to buy back shares to prop up the price, especially when you could use that cash flow to maybe buy complementary businesses or organically pour money into more R&D, 
and in some of my Making Money shows, one of them I recently did, where I talked about the correlation where companies that spend a lot more money on research and development improving their product, they outperformed the average market by a considerable amount. So you want to look at companies that put money in the right place, not just buy back stock, especially when they're paying too much. They buy it back cheap, stock is in the tank, and the future prospects look good. Management goes in and buys stock. Warren Buffett does that occasionally with Berkshire Hathaway. That makes sense. But buying overpriced stock just because you got cash on hand and you don't know what to do with it is a lousy idea. And IBM is a company that, you know, historically has been through the trenches. I mean, originally they were sort of at the leading edge of the computer business. Now they've had to change their whole corporate philosophy and about how they're operating and getting into cloud development and all the rest of it, right? Yeah. So, uh, and, and, they're starting to see some of the fruits of that, but it could take a while, and you just wonder what would have happened if they'd poured more of their resources into R&D and less on share buybacks, which really haven't seemed to help shareholders that much. So still a few more areas to touch on, another six or seven, and we'll do that in the next episode of the Making Money Show. This is about when you should think about selling a stock. And again, we go back to the beginning here. Almost always, the recommendations are to buy, the recommendations are to buy and hold. Very seldom do you hear anybody pick up the phone and say, hey, it's time to get out of that stock. So we're going to come back and finish the list. Once again, I would encourage you to, because we're going to have a website here in a, in a few weeks where these will be archived, and they're certainly archived on the CFCW site. You go back, I suggest that you go back and listen to these two or three times because selling is so critical and nobody is talking about it. All right, we're back with another installment of the Making Money Show next week. We hope you can join us. On behalf of the financial coach, Ron Hebert, I'm Gord Whitehead. Thanks for listening. The information presented is derived from sources believed to be reliable. This material is presented for information purposes only and does not constitute investment advice. Before acting on any investment information, a person should seek advice from an investment professional. The presenters may or may not hold positions in the securities discussed on this show and will not be responsible for any losses sustained from acting on this information.